Of filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so, what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. For many people, their job merely feels like a daily grind. But what if our vocations are a primary means of experiencing God's purpose in our lives? On today's show, I welcome Brian Chapel to discuss his new book, Grace at Work. We talk about how work is a vital way that we fulfill God's purpose for us, as well as showing His grace to those around us. Brian shows us how we can bear God's image in our work and express the kingdom. Brian Chapel is a best-selling author of many books, including Christ-Centered Preaching and Holiness by Grace. He is Pastor Emeritus of the historic Grace Presbyterian Church in Peoria, Illinois, President Emeritus of Covenant Theological Seminary, and president of Unlimited Grace Media, which broadcasts daily messages of gospel hope in many nations. Before we get into this episode, let me encourage you to subscribe to Filter wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss out on any of our future episodes. Uh, whenever they come out, they'll be right there on the homepage of where you get your podcasts, whether that's on YouTube, Apple, or wherever else. Also, subscribe to our email list so that you can get an email in your inbox notifying you anytime we have a new episode come out. Just click the link in the description below to go to the show notes and you can sign up on my website. Also, if you are helped by this episode or any of our episodes here on Filter, it would greatly help us out if you left us a rating and review for this show or shared this show with your friends. Leave Filter a five-star rating on Spotify and write a review on Apple Podcasts. Whenever you take these simple steps, it'll only take a minute of your time, but it greatly helps us to get the message of biblical clarity out to more people. Well, without any further delay, Let's jump into this conversation that I got to have with Brian Chapel. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Aaron. Glad to be with you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on here today. I'm excited to talk about your new book, Grace at Work. But I'm someone who's benefited from uh, your work and some of your other books in the past. Uh, your book, Christ Under Preaching, was uh, one of the first books that I was told to read from my pastor whenever I was an intern and getting started in ministry. And so it's a pleasure to be able to talk with you today. Well, thank you. Those are those are kind words and always encouraging to know that uh, some of the things I've written have had some uh, influence and, and helpfulness. So I appreciate your mentioning it. Well, that's great. And I think that I'm not alone. I'm sure that many of our listeners have uh, benefited as well. So appreciate you coming on the show today. We're talking about your new book, Out with Crossway, which is called Grace at Work. In the book you wrote, as Christians, we need to understand that our occupation actually has a vocation in it and that we are called to use our gifts and talents and resources for the extending of the kingdom of God. There's a lot in that one sentence, but there's yeah. a few key words. Uh, occupation, vocation, calling. I feel like we use these words a lot uh, in, in, in church and in preaching. And uh, we often use them in a kind of mushy way. We don't really define what we mean by them, or maybe we're, we're just being too ambiguous and using them all to mean the same thing. Whenever you talk about occupation, vocation, calling, what do these words mean? What, or is there a difference between them? And if there are differences in nuance, how do they react? Uh, uh, sorry, not react. How do they interact with one another? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're good to ask, and certainly it's something that we explore a little bit in in Grace at Work. And I think the the essence is to recognize that the origin of the terms occupation and vocation actually help us to discern the biblical purpose in our in our jobs. So we you know just common terminology we use vocation and occupation uh, as synonyms. They're kind of the same thing, but historically. Uh, they're actually something different that's quite helpful to us for us to understand as believers. So my occupation is what occupies me, but my vocation comes from a word that means calling. And it's important to remember that our occupation can also be our vocation and understanding what God is calling us to do to bring him glory, to give our lives purpose that are uh, redemptive, 
and glorifying to God and helpful to others, that God is not just giving us a job so that we can uh, get wages, uh, get a paycheck to pay for our family's meals. Now, those are good things. Those are right things. Mm-hmm. But but um, that's not quite the same as a vocation. You know, I think the average person who's a Christian thinks, well, what what is my occupation supposed to to do? Well, I'm a Christian, so, uh, you know, I'm not supposed to lie and cheat and steal on the job, and I'm supposed to witness at lunchtime if the boss will let me. And that, that kind of is the extent of my uh, Christian obligation. Mm-hmm. But what if I viewed the job itself as a calling? You know, and I'm just trying to find little ways to edge in my faith, but that the job itself was an expression of worshiping God, that that work could actually be worship because I'm fulfilling a calling in my job. God has made me, designed me with uh, interests, abilities, gifts, and if I use them in a way that I intend to glorify God, that is doing my job well, yes, being a witness in what I say at lunch, but uh, applying the gifts in such a way that I'm grateful before God and before others for the way he's made me, trying to do a good job. Yes, that's honest, so I don't cheat, but I'm also trying to give the best of what God has made me to be and do, that I'm reflecting the image of God in me, therefore giving glory to God. I'm radiating by my gifts and the application of my of my uh, efforts, what God has called me to do. So I may be doing something that's glorious or the daily grind, you know, just grind out the job. But if I'm doing it in such a way that I mean to glorify God, then my my work is my vocation. It, I'm doing something God has called me to do because I actually believe it's part of worshiping him. And, you know, worship is not just Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. Worship is what I do always when whether I eat or drink, whatever I do, I do all to the glory of God, to quote Colossians. Yeah. And, and so my work becomes worship, and that's my calling to actually give glory to God in everything I do. That's interesting. And so for someone who's maybe new to this concept of vocation and glorifying God through their vocation, maybe they're struggling to understand this. And they say, I can understand how my worship on Sunday is glorifying to God and maybe how my devotion time or our, our family worship time is glorifying to God. But, but how's my work as a healthcare provider? You know, how is that glorifying to God? Can you explain yeah. the, the theology and the biblical grounding behind this just a little bit more for those who are, this is new, they're trying to wrap their minds around it? I, I will. So if we want to do the theological things for a little bit, let, let's, let's, uh, let's go all the way back to, to Genesis, where we're kind of getting the, the, the master plan for human life. And some of the neat things that happen, very gospel presentation things at the very beginning of the Bible, are, are first— we as, as humans, we, we get our label before we do any labor. So before Adam and Eve are called to, to tend the garden, we are told that they are made in the image of God. That is, they're, they're made to reflect uh, the glory of God, his character and characteristics. Now, that's important because it means they have value to God before they do any work at all. In other words, uh, our... Our value comes before our performance. Now, that's a great gospel concept, right? Mm. That we have a vocation yeah. to be reflecting God before we've done it well. <laughs> and God has, God has uh, blessed us, called us his own, identified us as something that can bring him glory, reflect his character before we've done anything. But, but then we recognize that the labor that Adam and Eve do they are called to do to to keep and tend and steward the aspects of the garden. The labor comes before the fall. Sometimes we think that work is just drudgery, awful things, you know, uh, mow down the weeds, push back the darkness and the thorns and the thistle and all that stuff. But remember that before the weeds and the thistle and the bad things came into the world, work was already given. So work was not a bad thing. It's something that people who have God's image do to carry out the purposes of God, to carry out the glory of God. And so you asked for the theological answer, and maybe that maybe that's uh, going too far back, but it's really saying the work is intended to steward God's purposes in the world. 
And that's not a bad thing. Sometimes you just think this is a terrible, awful job. Well, it can be an awful job because it's a broken world. And so as we're trying to make progress for God in a broken world, there are hard things to do. There are dirty and difficult things to do. There are difficult people to work for. There are difficult people to work with. But if we are stewarding God's gifts in the work that we do, we are actually multiplying the purposes of God in the world in the work that we do. And uh, I know, Aaron, you know, sometimes I, you were asking, how do we perceive that? I, I always encourage people, you know, uh, if, if you would see how important your job is and you think it's just an awful, menial, insignificant thing, you can always do the George Bailey test. So if you think back to that old, old movie, It's a Wonderful Life, and remember the angel Clarence is trying to get his wings. I'm not defending this theology. This is not the theological portion of this interview. Right? Uh-huh. But remember, Clarence is trying to get his wings. So he lets George Bailey, who's terribly dist- uh, depressed, see what the world would be like if he had not lived. Mm-hmm. So he gets to see, if it were, the impact of his absence. And I couldn't help but think about that some years ago when I was actually asked to to visit a cheese factory uh, out on the on the northwest coast of the states. And and I watched and, you know, on the assembly line, there was a man who stood and his whole job was to watch these little blocks of cheese go by, you know, by the hundreds or thousands. And every tenth block of cheese, he would straighten it a little bit so that that block of cheese would rightly go into the the packages that would seal it. And, you know, I, I'm kind of thinking to myself, man, I'm glad I don't have that job. You know, that, that <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I would feel fulfilled. Now, I know nothing about the man, his talents, his gifts, his obligations. Mm-hmm. But, but I have to think, what if he weren't doing that? What if he were not straightening the cheese so it goes into the packaging? So the package doesn't properly seal. So bacteria enters the packaging so that somebody gets sick so that the product gets a bad reputation so that uh, not only is the man who got sick not able to provide for his family but people don't buy the cheese and so for the company goes broke and therefore the people who are working don't have jobs and therefore that because they don't have jobs their families can't be provided for and and you kind of go through all that domino 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 effect and you think man by him being faithful in his work even if it's hard work even if he doesn't like the work, if he's faithful in his work, he's protecting and promoting not just the purposes of the company, he's protecting the people of God and promoting the purposes of God in their life. And if he can kind of step back and do that George Bailey test, if I didn't do that, what would happen? Then he begins to see how his work, when faithfully does, brings glory to God. Uh, you know, Gerard Manley Hopkins, that uh, uh, wonderful Christian poet, years and years ago, he once wrote this. He said, to lift up hands in prayer gives glory to God. But a man with a dung fork in his hand or a woman with a slop pail gives him glory too. God is so great that all things give him glory if we mean that they should. If the reason that I'm doing this job is because I want to show by my efforts, maybe even by my endurance, my patience, whatever. If I want people to see some aspect of the character of God to promote His purposes, then then everything that we do gives Him glory, if we mean that it should. And that's yeah. why our work is worship and our vocation, our calling. Yeah, that's excellent. It's a good overview, and I think it's helpful for those who it might be new for. One thing you mentioned earlier was that our kind of uh, mushing together the meanings of occupation and vocation and job um, is really something new. And historically, they had a a cleaner understanding uh, of these ideas for the history nerds. Can you give us a little bit of that history? Who taught uh, who are the key teachers in Christian history of um, vocation? Who are you referring to? What ideas are you referring to in saying that? Um, there was a time before ours where they maybe had a uh, clearer understanding of what this meant and uh, how they taught it in their context. Yeah, well, you and I certainly have to go to the Apostle Paul, you know, Colossians 3, you know, that whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. 
that all is intended to bring him glory, again, if we intend that it should. But key in kind of the historical development of the church, for those who are thinking that, is that transition between, at least for us Westerners in uh, kind of Western churches, is that distinction that happened in the Reformation, that there was the perception that the holy uh, kind of first-rate jobs were the ones that, that the priests did. So if you were a, a, a preacher, a priest, a missionary, then you kind of had to step up on everybody else. I mean, that was doing the holy work. That was doing mm-hmm. the really important stuff for God. And everybody else had an ordinary job that was kind of second rate. I mean, maybe you didn't lie, cheat, or steal, but you weren't really doing the, the most important things uh, for God. And it was uh, Martin Luther who uh, helped us with other reformers to so much perceive, no, listen, if, if everything that we do can be done for the glory of God, and if every person is fulfilling a divine calling, then there are no secondary callings. And he talked about the priesthood of all believers. And there are wonderful ways that, that Luther would express that. And, and you may or may not be aware of this, Aaron. You know, I've actually been to the first church ever actually built to be a Protestant church hmm. in Torgau, Germany. And if you go into that church, one of the curious things is, you know, we, even now, where do we think of the pulpit? You know, it's kind of up front. That's where the preacher stands up front. But that's not where Luther put his pulpit. Uh, Luther put his pulpit on what was called the long wall, that is, along the side, so that he was preaching among the people. And the notion was, yes, I'm sharing the word of God with you, but I'm just among you. I'm one of you. Wow. And uh, so it was an expression of that priesthood of believers. Uh, John Calvin, another one of the reformers, where he really wanted to express the priesthood of believers. He didn't build a new church. But his church was uh, St. Peter's in Geneva, built to be a Catholic church. And uh, as a result, you may remember, there was a, a, a veil, a, a fence even, between the people and the place where the monks and the Eucharist were performed. And uh, uh, Calvin took that down, but then, uh, which would give the people direct access to God, not separate mm-hmm. the priest from the people. But the other thing he did, which was so cool is um, there was a huge bishop's chair in St. Peter's uh, uh, Cathedral and Church. And, uh, you know, stone massive thing. And Calvin wouldn't sit there. Instead, he took an ordinary wooden chair and uh, he just set it among the people where they were sitting. And before he would get up to preach, he would always sit among the people. Now, he would rise to the high pulpit because he wanted the word to be elevated. But in terms of the preacher himself, he just sat among the people because of that priesthood of believers, that I'm, I'm just one with you. Hmm. And it, it all came with understanding that, that what I am doing for God in my job is, is bringing him glory if I intend that it should. It, hard stuff, easy stuff, but that's not better or worse than the preacher's supposed to be doing. The preacher's supposed to be using his gifts to bring glory to God, and every person is supposed to be using their gifts to bring glory to God. That is their calling. God didn't just say, I just called the preachers, but I didn't call these people to a holy life. No, he he called us all to a holy life and to reflect his glory. And it's so beautiful if we can see it, and I'll, I'll end with one more Martin Luther story. So, you know, one of the famous, almost cliche stories of Martin Luther is uh, walking down the street one day and came across uh, uh, bricklayers. And he asked the first bricklayer, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and the bricklayer kind of, that's a silly question. I'm laying bricks. And uh, to the other bricklayer beside him, Luther said, what are you doing? And the other bricklayer saying, I'm building a cathedral. Mm. And if you, if you see the difference, you could say, well, one is just doing the job. The other is bringing glory to God by doing the same job. But if I intend that it should bring glory to God, then it's actually part of my worship in doing my job. That's why it's my vocation. Yeah, that's great. And I think for for those people who see that and have that purpose behind what they're doing, like that second bricklayer, what a joy it is. But how are Christians to know if their occupation is the vocation that God has called them to? What if you have someone who's questioning, uh, I'm not sure if what I'm doing now, my job is 
is my vocation. In other words, how do we, if the, these are two different concepts, how do we make sure that we're doing the right thing, the right job, occupation? Sure. Well, one, one of the ways in which we identify if we are fulfilling our vocation is, are we fulfilling our obligations? So uh, here, here are some things that we have to kind of weigh out. How has God made me? What, what are my gifts? What are my talents? Uh, what's my intellectual ability? What, what do I enjoy doing with my hands? Am I doing what is according to God's design? Because if I'm really stewarding God's gifts, then I should be doing those things that I have the ability to do, and hopefully that I also have the desire to do. Now, not always can we do what our desire, because we may have other obligations. Aaron, you and I have been to seminary. You work in a seminary. I've worked for a seminary for lots of years. Mm-hmm. And occasionally we'll run across the, the young people, uh, young men perhaps, who will say something like this. Well, you know, um, it, my, my family is really struggling uh, to be here right now. Uh, you know, we, we don't have enough to eat. And my, my kids, you know, I can't really provide for them. But I know God has called me to be here in seminary to prepare for the ministry. And you and I kind of take a deep breath and we say, you know, he may very well have called you into ministry. I don't know that you can be 100% sure of that in life, but you know what you can be 100% sure of? He's called you to be a responsible father. If you have kids to take care of, then you need to take care of your kids. And now I hope I'm not sounding callous and cruel in that, but one of the ways that we discover our vocation is being responsible in our obligations. And that's because it's, we always say it's easier to turn a car in motion and it's easier for God to direct a life that is meeting his obligations as we go. If, if he's called you into ministry, you still fulfill your obligations. Believe me, God has the means to direct you in the way that he wants you to go. So it's trusting his provision in fulfilling our obligations it is assessing what are we stewarding, what intellect do I have, what abilities and desires. Those are all gifts that God gives. So we always have the obligation to be saying, how has God made me and how do I best honor God with what he has given me to be and do? Um, just in my own life, and this won't be everybody's story, Aaron, you know, I, I, I kind of led a seminary for about 30 years and, and then um, thinking we were ready for the next phase of life for the last decade or so. I've, I've been a pastor and I thought, well, this is the bell lap. And, you know, we were you know, beautiful, wonderful church. People loved us. We loved being there. We kind of understood them and they understood us. And I thought, this is great. I mean, this is my swan song and I'm loving it. This is fantastic. And then our uh, larger church, our denomination began to experience some stresses and the leaders of the denomination came and said, would, would you take a leadership role in the denomination? And my wife and I were actually on vacation when that call first came. And we looked at each other and laughed. <laughs> You're crazy. Why would we leave this for, you know, uh-huh. getting in the hot seat again? And, uh, but, you know, ultimately we had to say, what is God calling us to do? And, and even further down the road say, would we... F- three years, five years from now, say, why did we not even try to help? If God has given us abilities and opportunities, what is our calling? Well, our calling is not just to lay back and, you know, take the last years easy and and so forth. If God is calling us to do something else for his church's sake. And I, you know, that's, that's kind of my life. But I, I think, I think of the same thing for my dad at one point, who made a very difficult decision. So my my dad was in a tense time with um, with his marriage with my mother, and he got an opportunity to leave the city we were in and, and go to uh, take a, a very advanced position with a lot more salary in another city, and he turned it down. And uh, I remember saying to my father at one point, why, why did you turn that down? And he said, well, because of where things are between your mom and I right now, we have to work here on our marriage first before I would put more stress upon our family. Hmm. What was his calling? His calling was to 
operate according to his chief responsibilities. His, his main calling is not just to make more money or have a higher... His main calling, clear calling, 100% sure calling, is to work for the good of his family. And he was evaluating his gifts, his abilities, his opportunities, even his weaknesses to say, what is God calling me to do in this moment? And that's not just the American dream, right? I need to make more money and and have a higher position. My calling is to fulfill God's obligations as best I can and as best I can determine and then trust God. Uh, now, I will tell you, my dad got a great position down the road <laughs> later on. Yeah, he, he bought his own company and did far better than he would have taken the other position. But it was a consequence of God directing him according to obligation into the vocation that was best for not just God's glory, but my own family. Yeah. That's a great story. And I really think it helps to bring to life the things that you're talking about. In in that analogy in, uh, for, or anecdote from your own life, it tells us about someone making a transition. But if there's anyone, if there's someone who is listening and they're saying, you know, I want to follow God's calling on my life. I know that it's not in my current occupation. And so they're looking to make that transition and they're trying to discern uh, not just timing, but also the various opportunities out there. Is there anything you add to them for how they are to go through that discerning process of making uh, occupational shifts that get them more into the vocation that they believe God has called them to? I'm only going to change the analogies to give me an opportunity to kind of express things, I think, with different clarity. I think we're always trying to assess what are our gifts and what are our opportunities to glorify God. So I think of a friend of mine, his name is Casey, and uh, Casey, uh, about 10 years ago, won the World Architecture Award. So of, of all the architecture going on uh, uh, across the world, he is company he his design won the world architecture award wow now now casey has been struggling for years he's a very ta- as you can tell he's a very talented architect but when he became a christian he began to feel like so many christians you know well the best thing most important thing to do is to become a minister or a missionary and so he he d- began to feel i i have to go into the ministry but as he was saying, I, I just can't continue being an architect. That's not really holy. You know, I, I need to be this other thing. He began to recognize God was giving him opportunities to explain why he had won the World Architecture Award. Hmm. And it wasn't uh, just people in a local church. I mean, there were artists and architects from around the world who began to listen to him. And ultimately, Casey began to recognize that his architecture was his witness. I mean, his the reason he had won the award is because he had actually taken what had been a, a dissolute and uh, decaying uh, portion of a city and redeemed it for better work and purposes. And when he began to explain to people why he had gone into that portion of the city and worked in that way to redeem the city... Well, he was talking about just uh, the economics of things and the structures and the materials, but it gave him an opportunity to express his faith. And as he began to have opportunities in international magazines, as well as just college students who would come to his company and even to his home to hear him explain why he had won this award, he began to use that redeeming language is the way God works with us, too, and how he wanted his job to reflect the redeeming work of God. And he ultimately recognized his job, which was craft, which was reflecting his gifts, his talents, his abilities, and his opportunities, mm-hmm. was actually God's vocational calling upon him. So he was still looking at, what are my gifts? What are my opportunities? I'm going to use all. Everybody needs to determine that as is best for God. Not everybody's called to be a minister. Not everybody is. So to say, well, that's the higher calling, so I just got to do it even though I hate it or I'm not gifted for it, is is not honoring the goodness and the greatness of God who says, no, 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 I've made you for this aspect of glorifying me. And you say, well, does that mean it always has to be a great job? No. It, it may be showing 
patience, perseverance, honesty, goodness, kindness, in a place where none of that is on display to others because you're actually affecting the eternity of other people, not, not just their immediate, but their eternity, by how you are fulfilling your Christian obligations, sometimes in very difficult places. I mean, I, I had the, the privilege um, in that seminary, I said, that I led for a while, of, of meeting a man who had um, been downstream of the ministry of another man who had been in a prison camp with Eric Little. And you remember who Eric mm-hmm. Little was, the one who yeah. ran for the glory of God. And uh, that man who was in prison, uh, in the Japanese prison camp with Eric Little, um, it was so awful, it was so terrible, that at one point he simply went out to the edge of the camp to commit suicide. And, and Eric Little followed him. And said, you, you can't do this. And the man said, but, but, but we are trapped and life is so miserable. And almost like the Sermon on the Mount, um, Eric Little pointed to the birds that were flying outside the barbed wire. And he says, as long as our heart's with God, we are as free as the birds. Now, Eric Little died in that camp. Yeah. But the man that knew he was as free as the birds as long as his heart was with God became a leader in the Asian theological world to train thousands and thousands wow. of, of ministers and missionaries. And I, I think the world would look on and say, Eric, Eric Little's life was wasted. He had all that you know, global fame, and then he died in a Japanese prison camp. Mm-hmm. But the reality was that the Lord used his faithfulness, patience, in a terrible place, uh, witnessing the goodness of God and doing a credible job, whatever the Japanese required of them, so that he lived long enough to tell another man who would tell thousands of the work of God. Now, Eric Little could not have perceived that. All he knew was, God is calling me to faithfulness in this moment, in this place. And in being faithful in that moment, in that place, he was fulfilling the obligations and the opportunities that God was giving. And that was his vocation at that time. Yeah. And like you said, Eric Little had no idea that that's what God was doing through him. He was merely operating on faith and obedience to um, what he knew God was calling him to do. And I think that's a good lesson for a lot of us who believe that, and I fall in the, into this all the time as well, we believe that um, the confirmation of from God that we are doing the calling that he has called us to or our vocation is that we will see the great fruit from it now or that we'll, we will know where it's going. And so often that's the difficult part. I think we, we go through times of struggle in our vocations and many times of doubting, and we say, you know, if only I could know where this was going. Mm-hmm. Lord, I know you have a good purpose. Would you just show me where this is going or, or when this is going in? And he doesn't. We have to just trust, uh, you know, like, uh, like the, the exiles in um, Babylon. We just have to trust that he has a good plan and that he has a future and leave the rest in his hands. Yeah, and, and we know sometimes the light shines brightest in the darkness. Right. Sometimes the 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 witness is we may not even be able to say words. Um, I I I remember the uh, the author's description, the famous author, kind of reminding us Jesus did not produce bad tables as a carpenter. (laughs) What was he doing? He was using the skills, the abilities, the faithfulness, the integrity. So that whatever was produced in his carpenter shop or his dad's carpenter shop, was reflecting integrity, honesty, excellence, whatever. Now, that was foundation for what God would use him for down the road. Um, and as long as we are doing faithfully what God gives us opportunity and ability to do, then we trust God will use it. And we can't always see that. I mean, you you and I are, <laughs> are, are, are preachers, Aaron, and so I think, you know, think of, of Isaiah, I mean, you know, we we love the glory of Isaiah 6. You know, the heavens open and you see the the seraphim and holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and the whole earth is full of his praise. 
And even though Isaiah falls on his face confessing his sin, you know, an angel from heaven touches his lips, purifies him so he can join the song of the angels. And what does he say? Uh, and the Lord says, now, who will go for us to talk about this glory? Mm-hmm. And Isaiah says, here am I, Lord, send me. It sounds so great. And the Lord says, great, you go and you talk to these sinful people and they will not hear you. I mean, (laughs) wait, wait, Lord, no, I'm going to go. No, you go and they will not hear you so that I can be just when I judge them. And then they will repent and turn back to me. You and I would not have wanted Isaiah's job, right? Because God is saying, you're going to fail as a preacher. You're going to preach and they're not going to. And you say, listen, there, I think of the young preacher from my own background, the young man who, um, a senior preacher had senior pastor had called him to a church and you, you'd be my successor. And, um, the young man didn't have any real background in pastoring or preaching, but, um, he prayed, he said, Lord, you know, please do in me a great work in this church. I mean, I don't have the abilities. I don't have, but, but, you know, my senior pastor has told me I'm to be the next pastor of this church. And how do I say he was terrible at it. He was terrible at it. I prayed the Lord would do a great work in this church through me and the church just folded around him, you know, it just went terribly, Mm. which caused him to think, you know, maybe I better go get some more training. And he went to seminary and he got some more training. He became far more able. And you know what? The Lord has used him for phenomenal ministry in this country. And I think he once prayed long ago in that little church that failed, Lord, do a great work in this church. The Lord did a great work in that church. He made him know he needed some training mm. <laughs> for wow, the work yeah. that he needed to do. Yeah. And, but to your point, we, we, don't, we don't know what the Lord will lead us to. We know as we are fulfilling our vocation, he will lead us where he wants us to go in a way that is best for us, ultimately, eternally and best for his people, and best for his witness, and best for even those who may hate us on the job, uh, who see Christ in us. And that was God's purpose all along for their eternity. Yeah. So in the book, you write about how the gospel informs all, all aspects of the work that we do, and how it informs our callings and responsibilities regarding Everything in our vocation, such as success or ambition, money, leadership, integrity. Um, can you walk us through some of these different topics uh, and how the gospel uh, uh, informs the way that we approach these issues and uh, helps us whenever we carry those responsibilities? I can, Aaron. And maybe just a little background on, on the book, Grace at Work. Um, I mean, why why even talk about work and grace at the same time? In many people's minds, those are antithetical. You know, uh, what do you mean grace at work? I thought grace was, we're saved by grace, not by works. Well, that's certainly true. Mm-hmm. Um, but in what way is grace connected to our work? And I, I think about my early uh, pastoring and... Uh, some of your listeners may know a little bit of my story. I mean, I had a great privilege, you know, right out of uh, seminary, I was asked to, to lead um, the largest and the oldest church in our region and um, of our flavor anyway. And, um, and how do I say that? I was so young leading this large church and that sounds like a wonderful privilege. It was really not very good for my soul. Uh, two things, one, First, my pride took over, you know, here am I, you know, look at me, you know, I'm pretty hot stuff here. Look mm-hmm. at me, young guy, big church. But the other thing was that the church was in a, a part of the country where our, our main industry was coal mining. And soon after I arrived in this large and historic church, the uh, government changed the standards for coal that could be marketed in the United States and in southern Illinois, where I was, High sulfur soft coal was what we mined, and uh, you couldn't market that in the U.S. anymore. And that meant within just a few months of my arrival, uh, there were quite literally uh, tens of thousands of people out of work. Government safety net, of course, but not sufficient for provision for families or future generations. And so, you know, the young people just exited these small towns, and, and uh, the depression set in. People hated to be there anymore. 
And if you know you're a pastor, I mean, if, if jobs and income are on rapid decline, what is on rapid incline is how people will medicate themselves to avoid the pain they're feeling. Mm. So they'll medicate any way they can. And it may be drugs, more likely alcohol, promiscuity, beating up my family. You know, whatever gives me a little release, uh, I'll do. And the response I had as a young person right out of seminary was I thought what I have to do is just kind of uh, teach these people the Bible. You know, the Bible says you shall not be drunk on much wine. So if you're if you're drinking too much, well, stop it. Just stop drinking alcohol. And if you're hitting your wife, well, remember, you're supposed to love her as Christ loved the church. You may not hit her. So just stop it. And if you're depressed, well, rejoice in the Lord. That's what the Bible says. And, you know, lost your job. Well, you know, I'm tough. You know, just rejoice in the Lord. That's what the Bible says. So so, so stop being depressed and, and straighten up. And I said, stop it so often. I could not stand me anymore. And I said to my wife, I do... I don't know what I'm going to do. I stand up in the pulpit every Sunday and I hurt people and I can't do this anymore. And what, what the Lord brought into my life at that point, at my own low point, was a book by Sidney Gradanus, another writer in the area of preaching. And, and curiously enough, he was looking at a, a controversy in the Dutch church a hundred years before. And the controversy was, how do we preach the heroes of the Bible? You know, David goes up against Goliath. Goliath says, am I a dog that you come against me with a sling? And David said, you come with sword, javelin, and spear. I come in the name of the Lord. And I knew how to preach that. If you have enough faith, you can beat up the Goliaths in your life. I don't, I don't know how you're going to make a living, but if there are any Goliaths, you can beat them up. Well, what Sidney Granonis reminded us is, if you're just saying to people, be like David, you are not telling the whole truth. Because if you tell people to be like David, you better say pretty quick, except for that chapter about Bathsheba Mm -hmm. and how he raised bad children and how he murdered Bathsheba's husband to have her and how at the end of his life he actually walked away from God in pride. What Gradanus did was he just kind of methodically went through the heroes of the Bible and he said, you know what? There's only one hero and everybody else needs him. And that is the grace of God. It's not your performance, but God's provision that is the message of the scriptures. And when you have failed like David or like virtually every other human person in the Bible, you have a Savior who still loves you and cares for you, and that is the grace of God. And you know what? I saw I saw hope come back into people's eyes. If I was saying if God could use people as messed up as those in the Bible, maybe he can use you when you have messed up. And I watched people begin to think Maybe God's got a plan for my life, a purpose. I watch young men begin to go into ministry. Families go into the mission field. Church, 150 years old, they never sent anybody into ministry or on the mission field. Hmm. I watch families come back together. I watch men and wives with their marriages broken. I watch them heal. Not everything was right, straight, made clear. You know, there's so many hard things. But what, what happened there in that place was it wasn't just my people who needed to know if you've messed up, God may still have purpose for you. Who also needed to know that? I did. I wasn't even out of my 20s, and I believed I was a failure. I had this great responsibility that I messed up on. But if I could believe God still had a purpose and a plan for my life, if I could be faithful here and tell people about the goodness that comes for Christ for broken people, for messed up people, then there was a grace that would help them. It helped me. And everything I've done in my life since, Aaron, has been to, to say to people, whether we're talking about your marriage or your prayer life or your preaching or your work life, you know, grace at work, whatever. It, 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 if you're motivated by the grace of God, if you're trying to reflect the glory of one who's been good to you despite your failure to him, it will change your energy, your joy, your reason for being, you'll change everything. And so why did I write Grace at Work? I, I tried to say, all the other books I've written, you know, about prayer, about marriage, about ministry, about uh, raising kids, all those things, how the grace of God is reflected in what he's calling you to do in all these areas. I recognize, I just, even though I was preaching to people about their work, you know, Sunday is for Monday. We're not just doing something on Sunday that's segregated from the rest of the week. It's all tied together. 
How can I help people see their motivation and their joy and their strength and their sense of fulfillment is seeing how the grace of God can be reflected in how they use money, in how they lead others, in how they treat employees, in how they treat a bad boss. That, that there's a way of perceiving the grace of God at work in and through you that will give you strength and joy and fulfillment and purpose that God intended for your vocation. And so grace at work is really just helping people see how the grace of the gospel is giving them ability, strength, joy, even for the hard stuff, the glory and the grind Mm -hmm. that God calls them to for the sake of himself. And uh, that's why I wrote the book, and uh, that's why you and I are talking, so people see something of that grace being lived out. Uh, even in their workplace, even if it's a hard workplace, they begin yeah. to understand how God is calling them into his glory and his purposes for his goodness and their joy when they uh, reflect his grace at work. Yeah. Do you think that work is an essential part of every person's sanctification? It's something that God desires for every person. And, you know, so this might go a little bit beyond the purview of the book. But if so, what does that say for those who uh, who don't work, whether they be um, retirees, stay-at-home moms, uh, or, or so on? Well, if you ask me, is every person intended to work, then th- the answer is yes. If you say, is every person intended to work the same, then the answer is no. Mm. Um, there, there are people who are beyond physical work years, but they're not beyond spiritual work years. You know, they, uh, as long as you can draw breath and have a mind to think, you can pray. You can do the work of God. You can pray for grandkids. Uh, you, can, you can show perseverance in hard situations. Um, you know, Fanny Crosby, the great hymn writer, you know, who was blinded early, early in life, uh, you know, toward the end of her life after she'd written so many glorious hymns, actually said, you know, people ask me, um, if if I hate my blindness, if I could have it taken away, would I have it taken away? And she said, you know, if I could have it taken away, I would have it taken away. But through my blindness, God has shut me in with himself all my life long. And I have known his glory as a consequence. And I think there are people, I've got a brother right now who who's an invalid, who um, he's between a wheelchair and a bed, his whole life now, mm. um, but he loves Jesus, and and he knows that there is uh, heaven before him, where his body and his mind will be totally healed, and he can reflect to people in often awful circumstances. There is still cause to rejoice in a God who loved me, even me, broken body, broken person, so much to send Jesus to die for me, and he'll welcome me, and I'll be with him completely whole and healed for 10,000 years times 10,000 so that the invalid portion of this life will be like the blink of an eye compared to the goodness of what God has prepared. And and he can pray for that and display it in God's work, even if he can't, you know, put his hand to a plow in a physical sense right now. Yeah. There's other work that he can do for God. And w- we were made for work. What, what did God say? He, he said, Every person is made in the image of God. Then he said, go increase and multiply on the face of the earth. What's that mean? If you're made in the image of God, you're reflecting God. Now there's supposed to be more people that are going to the ends of the earth reflecting God. Every person is made by their work to be reflecting God. So, yes, I I think to say, you know, my greatest goal is not to work. Well, listen, we will not work it the same way at all phases of life. But we always have God's work to do or else, honestly, we will feel empty in our selfishness. It, yeah. it, it will just be an empty life. Yeah, it's amazing how in my work as a pastor, there's been several times, many times, where I have a person come to me and they are depressed. Their uh, spiritual life has become dry. They're struggling. And, uh, and for many of these people, one of the factors that was going on was that they were out of work. And uh, we're struggling to find a job for one reason or another or in between jobs. And it's, it was, it's been amazing how for every single one of these people, once they found a job, even if it wasn't something that they loved and were passionate about, 
many of those problems disappeared. Their depression went away. Their relationship with God increased. You know, church attendance and worship increased. Um, because and, and it's something to learn and, and see how I think that, um, like you've said before, more than just in order to provide for our families, pay for our car insurance, or whatever else, God has intended our work be something that we experience His grace uh, yeah. through it. Yeah, well said. Again, th- back to that basic theological truth. Work came before the fall. It was part of God's blessing to be able to steward his glory and his creation. If we're, it, it, Work is not an awful terrible thing if we perceive it as, how can I use God's gifts for God's opportunities for God's glory? Yeah. If, if I perceive it that way, even the hard stuff, if I perceive, you know, the bad boss, the hard job, the difficult times, that I'm still reflecting the glory of God, that I don't perceive the work as a bad thing. The work has got something God has given me to do for his glory in this time. Yeah. Yeah, well, we've kind of gone full circle there, ending where we began. And so we're at the end of our time. And so I guess we can say that's as good a place to wrap it up as any before we go if you want to just tell us about ways that people can get in touch with you learn more about you in addition to the book which i'll have linked in the show notes uh but you know a website uh, or any of your other work that you'd like to send people to sure um you can get to the website a couple of ways you can either go to brianchapel.com brian chapel chapel is one p and two l's by the way brianchapel.com or you can go to unlimited grace unlimitedgrace.org and uh, the Unlimited Grace takes, dot, takes you to a lot of the, the radio programs and that sort of thing. BrianChapel.com to a lot of the book and pastoral resources and family resources. So resources are there. Radio program uh, is UnlimitedGrace.org and uh, a lot of the pastoral and personal resources at BrianChapel.com. Great. Well, I'll make sure to link those in the show notes for anyone who is wanting to go look into those. Uh, for the resources that you provide. Uh, Of course, I'll have Grace at Work linked as well so that anyone who is interested in picking up a copy of the book, just click on the link to the show notes and you'll find it there so that you can get your copy and start reading it and enjoy all that there is in there. Brian, just want to thank you so much for the work that you do and uh, for being a conduit of God's grace for us to learn how to weekend experience Grace at Work and for your time with us here today in Filter. Wonderful, Aaron. Thank you. Great questions and great to be with you. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast.